Wednesday Night Rugby on Off The Ball with Air Sport. Watch every Munster and Leinster game only on Air Sport, the home of rugby in Ireland. Yes, it is Wednesday Night Rugby. As always, we are joined by Keith Wood. Good evening, sir. Good evening, Dave. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. A rare opportunity to be uh, doing the Wednesday Night Rugby gig with you, with your good self. And sitting in studio alongside me is Andrew Dunn. Good evening. Good evening, Dave. We are here with Air Sport, the home of rugby in Ireland. It's uh, It's been an interesting last couple of weeks, very interesting last weekend. And we have the Interprovincials in the Guinness Pro 14 coming up as well. And let's take a quick look at the fixtures because there's some very tasty ones, potentially at least, as people get stuck into the Christmas uh, festive feel. Ulster Munster on Friday evening at 7.35 is always a very interesting one at Kingspan Stadium. Leinster Connacht then on Saturday evening. Connacht Ulster the following Friday, so uh, three days after Christmas and then the day after on the 29th. It's the one that we're all really waiting for is Munster, Leinster. Um, I want to get into them in a few minutes, Keith, but just want to tidy up a couple of the loose ends from what was a, a very entertaining and in other ways interesting Champions Cup weekend. We were speaking a lot about Munster, obviously, on Monday night and maybe the manner in which they were beaten and the manner that uh, Cast approached the game in a game that Cast ultimately won that 13 points to 12 victory. The news has kind of moved on a little bit, Kate, because as we expected, two of their players have now been cited. And um, For instance, that took place in that game. Rory Cockett has been cited for allegedly making contact with the eye area of the Munster open side, Chris Clute. And Marc-Antoine Rallier is also facing disciplinary action after he was alleged to have tackled Peter O'Mahony dangerously. Those hearings actually took place this afternoon, so we should know the outcome of those tomorrow. Eddie was with us on Monday night, Keith, and he kind of raised something that a lot of people have talked about in the last couple of days, that Munster allowed themselves to be bullied in that game. And I wanted to get your thoughts on that, being so close to the province and, and knowing the, the kind of the history and the way things have been for so long down in Munster. That is not something that they would take very kindly to hearing. Is that how you saw it? Or has the game gone away like it, down a road whereby that sort <clears> of... Um, Behaviour from opponent isn't something that can be met fire with fire way. You actually have to just keep your discipline and you have to trust the officials to look after it. There are simply too many cameras around nowadays to try and exact some retribution. Yeah, I, I think it's somewhere in between the two, Dave. And I, I mean, I, I think if you separate out the game for the first part and say that Munster should have won the game anyway, and if you know they lost a couple of lineouts close to the line, they missed a few kicks at goal, they. They turned down the opportunity to kick from in front of the post just before halftime. So I think with those changes happening, I think Munster could have gone on to win the game. Um, I do. I like. I, I. I thought World Rugby set the tone prior to the Autumn Internationals that um, that they were going to eradicate a huge amount, far more yellow cards, far more red cards. I thought they set the right tone. Uh, the game is is incredibly tough anyway, and. Um, uh, it's the level of scrutiny is there is pretty evident for everybody to see. So I would have said that um, Castro went over the mark totally. Um, I think you'd ask Munster to stand up for themselves as much as they can, uh, unless they get stuck into having a brawl, which means two or three players getting sent off. I don't think you can do that anymore. And um, the way there has been a clampdown in terms of reactions to the game, I don't think they can. So I would look at it slightly differently. Um, I think any query on gouging in a game should go to the TMO. Of course it should. It's reprehensible. Can't be allowed in the game. And that seemed to be glossed over very quickly. 
Um, for me, the tip tackle on Peter O'Mahony, who's vulnerable having made the pass, um, he is exposed in that position. I thought that was a red card all day long. So with those two things that happen in the game, irrespective of the sliding tackle at the end uh, uh, on Conway <clears> or <throat> the arm that came in afterwards, which I, I don't think was bad, but looked bad. Um, you know, I just think we need to to remember this is an incredibly physical game anyway, but the laws are there to be adhered to. And I just thought Wayne Barnes, there was so much happening all the time. There was almost a case for saying, hang on a second, let's see if we can, we can put a big stamp down on this, excuse the pun, and sort this out properly. <clears throat> and that didn't happen during the game. So I think, forget about the result. Forget about the, uh, I, I've read some of the stuff about moaning monster supporters mm. and all that sort of stuff. Forget that. That's, that's a kind of uh, irrelevancy in this argument. The argument is that the laws were set out prior and definitions of the laws were set out prior to the autumn. I don't know that they're necessarily being adhered to. It just seems as if the distance of time from when um, World Rugby said that they were going to clamp down on some of these things has stopped. So for that... I would say, yeah, they probably went over the over the mark. And clearly, no Donner, the way, <clears throat> in some ways, what was being allowed go at the breakdown, what was being allowed go in relation to Cass' lack of discipline, and and Keats already alluded to one or two of those incidents. Clearly, the referee isn't clamping down on these things, so that therefore allows you maybe a little bit of wriggle room to not exact retribution, but certainly get up into the face of your opponents, allow, make sure that they know and know in certain terms that, that you're not to be cowed, that you will not be bending to their, to their rules as to the manner in which how they want to play the game. Is, is that something Munster could have done, or would you agree with Keith that really it just has, all has to lie in the hands of the officials? You have to put your faith and your trust in them. I agree in the sense you've got to, you've got to trust in the referee to police things adequately and in, in the absence of that you cannot take the law into your own hands because you will it's so obvious you know you're going to get caught in terms of the amount of cameras that are on the field but what Woody mentioned which I suppose I'd be more I'd be interested to develop and, and go back to it Woody is in the case where the referee hasn't protected you adequately he did he feel Munster stood up for themselves enough physically within the rules did they, did they step up to the mark with the physical challenge? From a guy, Woody, who was part of, of um, such incredibly tough monster packs historically, would they have found a way to, whether through physical courage or nous or game management or referee management, to stand up for themselves in a smarter, better, uh, surreptitious, physical, cynical, all these things, you know, can they do all those things and still manage to get that result? I think Woody's generation, okay, the, the personnel were, were different. My experience of playing against those monster packs was, yeah, they would have found a way to manage that situation better, uh, regardless of Wayne uh, Barnes's misses and Wayne Barnes' inaccuracies. It's, there's, a, there's a great skill in leadership in, in how you, you manage the referee, how you deal with his mistakes, which you know it seems at times are inevitable with Wayne Barnes. Um, now, I don't, I'm not questioning courage in the Munster setup. I'm not questioning attitude. I'm probably questioning those more subtle things I mentioned. The, the, the game management at the coalface in a European tie down in France, 
how can you subdue the crowd, how can you manage the referee better, how can you lay a physical marker down to stamp some kind of authority on the Castro pack. Is there, is there an answer to that, Keith, or is, is it simply a case that there is just no real room for that subtlety, that surreptitious um, way of fighting back in the modern game? I think you can move away from the surreptitious and go straight to the reality of it. And I would have said that uh, Munster got beaten um, and got pushed back on uh, on the gain line. I think the weather had something to do with that as well. And Munster are often very abrasive, taking the ball into contact, very abrasive at the ruck time. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that's where they were they were beaten in that and a huge amount of it. There weren't as many kicking options. And so when you go back to times in the past, you'd be looking at a style of play of kicking and chipping into the corner. Uh, the manner in which Castro was set up was that a lot of people there for those kicks and on that weather, um, you do want to put the ball on the ground. You do want to put it in behind. Mm. Um, I think for a lot of the players, that was, this was a huge day away from home in dreadful conditions. And look, I don't think Munster played well enough. They didn't play well enough. They'd want to play an awful lot better than that. They'd want to play an awful lot more physical than that. And maybe on that side of it, that may have been enough to try and counteract it. Um, look, it's hard. The game keeps changing. It's changing all the time. And from in my view on this one, monster, this monster team. So we often say monster and monster will learn a lesson or Leinster will learn a lesson. But mm. this team is learning, is having to learn a lesson very quickly today. Mm. It, it is the case. This is the time Andy. that they have to, you know. Sorry, Woody, your line just broke up momentarily there. It is a case that if Munster had won the game, if Joey Carby lands one of those penalties, mm. That are we actually having this conversation at all? They've risen above it. <clears throat> They've taken what was given to them, kept their cool, kept their discipline, um, remained true to the values and, and history yeah. of Munster rugby. And they silenced the crowd and the cast players in the best and only way possible by beating them in their own backyard. Yeah, but they didn't. So that's why we're having that conversation. <laughs> I can be literal about it. But I think it's interesting. Um, there, there's, there's some... There are some kind of magical home truths about playing European Cup rugby away from home in France in the rain. You know, it's entirely mysterious to me still why French sides um, surrender the tournament uh, regularly in the leagues in the group stages by by sending their A or their whatever you call it their A or B side, their secondary uh, troops to to games away from France, but. These home truths, I suppose, I refer to, and it hasn't changed. The, the game is evolving. I fully agree with Woody, but there are some moments where, you know, the rain is teeming. There's, you know, steam coming up from both packs when they stand up from a scrum. There's wind. It's it's December, January time in Europe, where the ball on the floor, the ball in behind the back three, um, is a good option. Now, Castro were probably well. Uh, well attuned to that and defended the backfield really, really well, which limited options um, for Murray and Carberry. But there are alternative options such as the bombs, such as grubbers, such as chips, um, and varying your game in the conditions. And I think those are those are naturally just parts of the game where, for example, Joey Carberry is going to learn a huge amount from from that loss. He's the 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 relentless kind of throwback to, to Raj in, in would Raj have, have missed that kick you know it's tough on Joey he probably wouldn't have but he it may goes have, with the territory he, though yeah it? it goes you with the, the territory you are the monster 10 now you're a test class 
fly half. Yes, you when are. When you don't land your kicks, these are the questions <coughs> Joey Carby now has to face, and I'm yeah. sure he's aware of that. Yeah, and I think he'll learn from it. I mean, Raj missed a kick to win a European Cup final, and he learned from that. He came back stronger, and you know, he never really missed many important kicks after that, but that was a seminal moment in his career. Joey is, is roughly the same age as Raj was when that happened, and, and while possibly not the same stakes, pretty high stakes, and and I would hope he'd learn from it. I, I have I, I think one thing I've actually noticed technically is he, he's kicking, he's striking the ball really well. Mm. Uh, and I see that probably has come through consistency and confidence and getting game time at Munster. So there are positives that come with the loss overall. Yeah, and the most important thing is how he responds to it, isn't it? Mm. Uh, don't forget our Heineken Star comment wherever you're watching or listening to us this evening. Be sure to get your thoughts, questions, or opinions in every week throughout the season. We're giving away great prizes with thanks to Heineken this week. We we have a signed rugby ball and an off the ball slash Heineken brand of goodies so if you want to get your hands on some of those do get your comments into us um, Keith maybe what happened over the last week or so it does feed into these interprovincial games for Munster over the next couple of weeks because there's no way to get away from it that trip to King's home now is a season defining game for Munster it's the most important game of their season until the following Saturday when the visit of Exeter to Thelmond Park becomes the most important game of their season and everything that happens between now and then as much as fans of the Pro 14 and Munster supporters who might be travelling up to Belfast would maybe even attempt to disagree it, we're just waiting to get these out of the way aren't we? It'll be interesting to see what team Munster put out what team all the provinces put out over the next 10 days or so because I want to see how Munster get on away from home again because they've had poor away from home form and losing last week and the circumstances as well they want to get back on the horse straight away and it's trying to strike that balance between not burning out some of the players that have been part and parcel of some of Ireland's big play for the month of November as well and some big matches over the last couple of weeks so it is about trying to go and get a, a result there which I think they have the capacity to do so but I haven't seen the teams yet so it's very hard to make a prediction when you haven't seen those teams. They are important games because you want to do well against um, the players you play with week in, week out. There's also a big thing in terms of the supporters for the Ulster supporters um, uh, this week and then the following week with Leinster coming down. It's a really big deal. It's a big match. And I know it gets, because of the changes in the selection, it kind of, I don't think it's diminished at all. It just has been a recognition that there is other people that are there, and this is a big opportunity for them. But Munster know that for the Heineken Cup pretensions that they have, they have to go away and win. They have to get their head around that idea. So um, it is important, but I wouldn't put the one at the weekend as the most important game or the one afterwards, because I still think they can do well in the rest of the Pro 14 and get themselves into a proper position where they can actually go and win it. That has to be the goal, not to win every one particular game. Um, but the big games are Exeter and Gloucester. They are huge games for Munster because Munster want to be at the top table. And if we're to be brutally honest, they haven't, they've been very close to the top table for the last couple of years. And I still think they're progressing, um, but they're not fully at the top table yet. Like if they lose these games, Donner, like they can recover from this, albeit in a conference in the Guinness Pro 14 where they haven't got an awful lot of wriggle room. They're seven behind Glasgow, so they've struggled on their hands to try and reel them in, but there's only six points going back to the two Ospreys who are in fourth place. So a couple of defeats over the Christmas period, you are going into those games with Gloucester and with Exeter looking over your shoulder in the Pro 14 and the entire season is in 
the melting pot heading into, into the Six Nations then? Yeah, well, I think a reaction, a suitable reaction from the loss is, is probably inevitable, you know, this week, I think. Um, Particularly with some of the questions we've had yes, some people have been yeah, asking of them in the last few days. I, you know, I think it's probably a, a broader question for them, not just that's happened in studio tonight. I think, um, you know, coaches and players, despite what they might say, say will be quite aware of some of the opinions that are floating around out there post Castro and post that, I suppose, um, really, really disappointing nature of the loss. Um, but I think a consolidation over Christmas, um, provided they don't lose both games, um, isn't a, you know, it's not a disaster. I think one win from two, two wins from two, obviously ideal, but one win from two is not a disaster. And, and um, it is an opportunity for coaches to have a look at maybe not frontliners, um, particularly over that Christmas period. Let's move on to Leinster, Keith, because they obviously had a, <clears throat> an interesting weekend themselves, but albeit a far easier one, and they laid down their marker after the difficulties they had at the wreck the previous week, and, and they are set, they've set up an unbelievably mouth-watering game with Toulouse in the next round. And when you look at the Pro 14 conferences, they are hosting Connacht on Friday evening, on Saturday evening, rather, but they're so far clear at the top of their conference, 15 points away from Scarlet in second. It probably isn't a reach to suggest that this game means an awful lot more to Connacht on the back of their five-game winning streak than it does to Leinster. Uh, I think that's a very fair call. Um, equally, I think the uh, Leinster have the ability to field a few teams at the moment. They're, when they're going back to their second or third strings, uh, there isn't as much a disconnect from the manner in which the first team play. And I also think that a lot of the um, uh, the Leinster guys that, that come in for this game, if they don't go for front line, I think a lot of those guys, um, they see this as their chance and their opportunity. So I don't know that they're kind of taking the foot off the pedal against Connacht, and I don't think so. And, and you know, Connacht had a, um, turned them over a couple of years ago and kind of upset them a lot with it. I still believe that Leinster bristle a little bit at that. I don't think they'll want that to happen. And I just, I think it's difficult at times. It's not difficult, but it's, it's uh, Leinster in a very, very strong position with the strength and depth of their squad. You know, it's something to be envied um, by the other provinces. And I think when you're looking mm. at them in that instance, they are pretty much out on their own in terms of that. It doesn't mean that they're going to win everything this year, but they're the best place to do so. You saw Leinster in the flesh on Saturday afternoon. You were hugely impressed. I was hugely impressed by an area that's not my expertise, but is was an incredible marker to lay down in the first 15 to 20 minutes was the Leinster scrum. And while there was, there was a lot of icing and candy out wide and it looked excellent, it was based on the Leinster scrum. I have no doubt it was a strategic call. It was very, very... Um, process delivered they obviously looked at Bath and they obviously had confidence in what they could do but Jack Conan controlled the ball superbly but it lingered at his feet and they dropped their hips to a man all eight dropped their hips and went for a secondary scrub on scrub, uh, secondary shove on the first scrum and Bath remained legal and just crumpled um, and they they put their foot on the neck of Bath in the scrum and they repeated that for 15 to 20 minutes. They never released the ball early and it's not the Leinster style of play. I think the Leinster style of play has been 
hugely successful, built on a very solid platform that is stable and get the ball away quick mm. and get your starter plays in action. They back themselves to take a team in the first phase more, more than any other team. They, and they have a huge uh, conversion rate with first phase scores and first phase line breaks. But they decided in, in, in the Aviva, I think, to batten down the hatches and to watch the, the front five guys in particular from Bath, um, a little crumpled, lungs burning to get up off the floor after 15, 20 minutes was incredible. Now they didn't, to their credit, Bath didn't surrender. Bath were very physical and, and industrious, but lacked the clinical nature of Leinster. And I think the other thing that their scrummage did in the first 20 minutes was, to an extent, was pacify Francois Lowe and Underhill, who, um, you know, both, both really strong contributors around the field, but if they are tied in to making sure their scrum doesn't creak, they're less of a defensive threat. And as soon, as soon as Leinster released that ball um, from Johnny outwards, they, they had easy, um, easy yardage to, to make. Um, so I'd be, like I said, I'm, I'm a little fancy boy out after, so <laughs> I'll, I'll, stop, I'll stop there. But I'd be interested to, to, think, interested to see what Woody thinks. Yeah, it must, have been, it must have been very obvious if you noticed this. Yeah, um, yeah absolutely. Plain, plain, as plain as the nose on your face. Yes. Did you, I'm not sure how much you've ha- had a chance to watch that Leinster game in full <coughs> keep, but did you notice something of Leinster in that opening exchange that they, or at least in the first quarter, that having really been forced to the pin of their collar at the wreck, they are, were very keen to lay down a marker and they did that on Saturday afternoon? Uh, I thought they did, but I, I did think they targeted Francois Lowe in particular. If he's having to make the tackle, he's not getting the turnover. He got a lot of turnovers the previous week. Um, I also thought the level of of intensity was very, very high. Um, equally well, I thought Bath had put such a huge effort the previous week in losing at home. Um, and I've known this from having played with, with Harlequins for a long time. And I know it's different times. But um, they wanted to concentrate on other things apart from having to go over to Leinster. So when Leinster started with 20 minutes of serious grunt and, uh, and effort, I, I'm not saying they, they ran out the gate, they didn't, but they still have the pride to go and play. But I thought they were beaten nearly after 20 minutes. I know the scoreline was mm. beginning to ratchet up, but... Um, uh, like they still wanted to play, and they still, but it was almost as not as if their heart wasn't in it at the end, but they weren't. They weren't in it. I don't think they were going to threaten um, Leinster and beat them in the Aviva. That just didn't seem at all likely. And I know that from having commentated on some of the games that Leinster have lost in the Aviva, um, it has been teams that have literally smothered uh, Leinster's way of playing. Leinster did the exact same to Bath. Do you see Connacht as having a real chance in this game, Dunner, or are Leinster now in a place having been tested by this defeat in Toulouse and by that near miss at the wreck in a way that they weren't hmm. tested really last season because, as we know, they became just the second team in the history of the European Cup to go through the entire competition with, with their nine wins, as, as Saracen had done a couple of years previously. That Leinster, of, towards the end of 2018, are they're a little more battle hardened, they are been forced into a position where they have to ask maybe questions of themselves that they didn't necessarily have to do this time last year. And they're coming up with these answers and it's just going to be very hard for Connacht to go there, no matter what team the Leinster put out, and make it six wins from six. There's, there's a story within a story, I think, um, underlying the Leinster-Connacht rivalry of probably recent history, the last 10 years. There's, there's a 
there's a, a latent dislike uh, in Leinster for the couple of losses they've picked up over the years down in Galway, and, and they won't say it. From a communications point of view, they won't say it. It'll never be said out loud. But there's a resentfulness in them that they've gone down to Connacht at times when Leinster's peacock is uh, shining and they've been picked off in Galway. A couple of times when it, was, it mattered hugely in a conference game or for league points, and the resentfulness came from the fact that Connacht were raising their game for a huge match for them for Leinster, but maybe weren't backing it up either side in a less important game, you know, Zebra or someone else the following week. And, and it was a, a criticism that was never publicised, but it, it caused resentfulness, I think, in, in the Leinster camp over, over that recent history, seven to ten years. You know, why aren't you backing it up? Why aren't you stepping up to the plate for other games? Why did you just reserve it to come down and pick us off down in, in Galway? It hasn't happened so much up in Dublin, but I do think there is uh, that kind of underlying niggle that's been present in the Leinster Connacht game for, for a long, long time. I, I was involved as a Connacht player in a Leinster game when we got particularly nasty around 06, 07, 07, 08. There was a lot of off-the-ball stuff. Um, Andrew Farley got, you know, hit, uns you know, unsighted, you know, blinded by, uh, by Shane Jennings at the time. There was sighting commissioners going on. There was phone calls between friends at provincial level, you know, can, you, can we sort this out together or are we going to a sighting commissioner? There was a lot of aggro. So there's, there's an underlying story there that's, that's gone on a long while. So I, I think what it makes for is a much closer game uh, in general between those two teams. Um, I can't see Connacht going, picking them off in the RDS. I just think Leinster have too much strength, as Woody mentioned. They can probably pick two or three teams at this stage. Um, Connacht have a wonderful run of late, but I don't see them going to the RDS to win, but I see a fiery encounter and I see it being close. Yeah, it's, uh, it's something to look forward to. A couple of more things, Woody, I want to touch on before we uh, start to wrap things up, and there's a lot of comments coming in on our, our social channels as well. It was in very interesting comment from Rory Best on, on where Ulster are at the moment and the improvements that clearly have been made under the coaching staff and obviously in particular Dan McFarland since he's come in from the, the Scottish setup. And I'll read you something that he said. He noticed a big difference being away in the autumn in that when he came back this time around for the Dubai Internationals, he felt very comfortable in the scrum. Before when I went away in the autumn, I couldn't get comfortable in the scrum with whatever what was going on. And this is a really interesting one. From the first scrum when I came back from the internationals, you sort of fit it in. And it feels like this is more like a scrum that can actually try to attack now. Sometimes you wondered over the last couple of years when the internationals were away, if the boys would just put their feet up. That's very honest, very open from Rory Best. He's obviously praising the current setup, praising the amount of work and endeavour that's going in behind the scenes when he's not around now, but raising serious question marks over what was going on over the last 18 months to two years. Yeah, I, I I would be taking that as being more a positive than a negative. Um, maybe it's a reflection of what had happened before. Um, I also think that at different clubs at different times when their when their uh, international players come back, they kind of say, "Well, the guys are back; they'll take up the mantle again." Whereas actually, what you want to have are the guys that are at home to keep pushing the standards all the time, so that when you come back as an international, you can slot into your team and not have to be the main force behind it because you've been the guy under huge pressure. And that could be not necessarily a technical thing, but it could be a mindset change that's happened down there. But also for McFarland, he wasn't really there 
that early in the season. This is his opportunity to work with a lot of the players when there's no matches on at the weekend. I would have said that's what actually should be happening. And this is his opportunity of helping to mould um, a fairly chunk of young players into what he wants. So I think that's a good thing to, a good thing to have. It's, it's one of the issues with international rugby, actually, is what happens when you come back. Are you the guy that has to lead them again and again and again? Mm. Um, and I think that can often be very, very tough. Um, and we know from looking at, at Rory Best, for who is just he's been a leader of leaders because everything he has done, he's delivered on, and every team he's been involved with. So any t- anything that can happen to take a little bit of pressure off him is no harm. He's getting a bit older, you know. He wants to try yeah. and have a, not necessarily an easy run of it, but he doesn't want to burn out every single time he goes and play. He just wants to be able to focus on doing his job, I think, sometimes. Yeah, and on that note, I guess you have to wonder whether he's going to be playing in this game. And equally so, we, a lot of us would love to see the kicking duel between Carberry and John Cooney of the mm. kicking tee. Will one or both, either of those boys, be playing? And the line-out as well. I, mean, I think Munster coughed up five line-out opportunities in cast to really turn the screw at times in the game mm. versus an Ulster team that have now lost... Henderson. Henderson, who's probably out potentially for the first half of the Six Nations with that hand injury and Ray as well. Another one of their locks is gone as well. Mm. Well, I think um, should we see the kicking duel, uh, it'd be very interesting to see Carberry's response. Um, like I said, I think really striking the ball immeasurably better. Um, from a technical point of view, he's not... A lot of kickers have the style where they crumple over the ball. Their head is very much over the ball. Traditionally, you know, head down, focus. He's he's opened up his chest. His head is is kind of uh, not so much C-shaped over the ball. He's quite J-shaped. He's kind of standing up there, Almost opening like out the, the hips. Farrell, his chest is up. His yes, chest is yeah, and he's getting a nice strike on the ball, which matters. Um, now, striking it lovely and hitting it wide doesn't matter all that much, but you, you would hope as the strike becomes more consistent and true, which I think he's done, the accuracy comes with it. Cooney is, um, from my mind, possibly the most underrated player in Irish rugby at the moment. He's, his, what he's done in terms of his contribution to Ulster rugby has been huge, a remarkable contribution for a guy who was a bit part player in other provinces. He's kicked last minute conversions and penalties to win key games. His contribution around the field is not as, um, as a, I suppose, an attacking threat, probably not where Marmion and McGrath are, was passing. I'd say all three, their passing is very similar. Um, so yeah, I'd be very interested to see how, how things pan out, not only just for you know Cooney's kicking game here if he plays this weekend, but over the course of the next eight, nine months, for, for my mind, he could be a dark horse for the World Cup squad yeah, at the expense of one of Luke or... Such or, a competitive World Cup squad yeah. slot, that second yeah. uh, and third scrum half berth, particularly when you think of the shoes he had to fill. He's coming in to replace Rowan Pienaar, and he, he had to leave against his will, and certainly mm. Ulster Rugby had no intentions on allowing Rowan Pienaar leave. People have short memories, though. <laughs> well, they do, it is, you know, long live the king. Uh, tonight, Heineken star comment and winner of a signed rugby ball and OTB Heineken branded goodies is Mark Fitzgerald on Twitter and this is one I'll put to you Kate, because it's a very interesting one and when you mentioned the alleged gouge that involved Chris Clute in the game against Cast at the weekend and maybe the TMO getting himself involved in that incident it was something that occurred to me and Mark suggests that the TMO slash citing protocols be amended to allow the TMO or the citing commissioner to continue to review, review the footage during the game and if um, someone has made an attempt to contact the face of the eye area of an opponent that they then, if it's identified, advise the referee 
at the next break in the play, be it five minutes down the road, ten minutes down the road, the guilty player is then sent off and play will continue. See, um, our viewer here says, siding and banning a player from a later match is not enough. The player should be sent off as soon as the alleged gouge has been identified. Is a gouge something that a referee or a TMO really is in a position to adjudicate on given the amount of frames and freeze frames and slow-mos that are required to really see if something untoward has taken place? Um, I, I don't know is the answer to that one, but I do think that's a brilliant question uh, from, from, uh, from the texture in for the very simple reason that there was conversations about it. So what is the legality and what is the strength that the referee has in that instance? I actually don't know the answer to that. Um, for me, I felt it warranted that they looked at the TMO and looked at it to see whether it did stand up. And if, if it was very clear and obvious, well, then maybe they might be able to do something and they may be within their gift to do something. But to not go for it, um, I think that's wrong. I just think if, if someone says there's, there's been it, because he said it himself, there's been an allegation of gouging, um, maybe we need to go back and look at that now. That would, that would, for me, would have seemed like a reasonable response. So that's what I would be querying for. As to whether that change in the law that the TMO might be able to do it, I'm just not sure because there's an awful lot of the foul play and elements of that go into and citing goes into a level of legality that's just out, outside my area of expertise. But I just look, we see so little of it. You know, that's one of the things you have to say. There's so little gouging, you know, but it's very frightening and it's not something that we want in the game at all. Okay, brilliant stuff. Keith, I think this is almost certainly the last time we chat to you on Off The Ball and in particular Wednesday Night Rugby in 2018. So thanks for everything you've done for us this year and we, uh, we shall speak to you very soon. I have loved it. Great to see you back in the chair. There Talk you go. Talk to you soon. Merry Christmas. Donner, that was brilliant. Thanks very much for coming in. Cheers, Dave. So that was uh, Wednesday Night Rugby. Thanks to Keith and thanks to Andy. Wednesday Night Rugby on Off The Ball with Air Sport. Watch live Pro 14 action on Air Sport this season. Visit airsport.ie.